This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is April 8th, 2021. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Uh, my name is Mike D'Antonio. I was at Hofstra Radio from 1982 through 1987, and then again from 2001 until about 2007 or 8. Okay. And during your time at Hofstra Radio, what uh, shows or programs did you work on or host? Uh, a whole bunch of them. Uh, I started out as a staff announcer on an old show called The Land of Make Believe, which was a jazz show. Eventually became a host of that one. Uh, then uh, later on, I hosted Airwave. Uh, I hosted um, what we used to be called the Rock and Roll Oasis. Uh, I think I even did uh, a temporary host gig on uh, one of the country shows we had at the time. Uh, there was a nighttime show called uh, Night Light that I hosted for a, a bit of time as well. Uh, later on, uh, as a community volunteer, uh, oh, we wanted to focus on the beginning, right? So uh, early on uh, in my uh, beginning years, I pretty much did uh, the jazz shows and the, uh, the rock shows. However, for a little while, I was also classical music director, believe it or not, and didn't know much about it, but it was a great way to learn. And uh, so that was a good experience for me. So yes, I did host a classic from Austral also. Okay, so that was my next question about titles and positions that you held at the station. Okay, uh, well, uh, my very first position was uh, public relations, and Jeff Krause, who was general manager at the time, used to love to call people by their positions, so he'd often be yelling, PR, meaning me, uh, and uh, I was executive engineer for a little while. Uh, I did uh, some traffic work. Um, later on, like I said, I was the classical music director. Uh, let's see, what else did I do? Um, that, I mean, as, as I did promotions for a while, uh, as well, uh, basically, uh, that was it as far as positions go. I was kind of like a, a, a team player most of the time rather than, uh, than management. Okay. Um, to go back to what you said earlier about the first on air work that you did, you said you were a staff announcer and then eventually became a host for those of us who weren't there at the time. What was the, what was the difference? What was the, what was the role? Okay. A staff announcer basically was on the air reading the public service announcements and the little news blurbs supporting the host on the air. So you would have, like, say, a jazz show, uh, the, the Land of Make Believe, and, uh, you know, in between the songs, the host would be the host of the show about talking about the songs and the music and whatever. And then when there was a, a public service announcement or a promotional announcement that was done live, I, as a staff announcer, would handle that. And sometimes there was some rapport between the host and the staff announcer, but not often. And then once you became the host, then you had more control over it. You were more, it was more like your show, uh, whereas, you know, you had some say over how the music was selected based on the playlist you were given. And, uh, you had more of a, you built up more of a pattern kind of, kind of thing that as the host, rather than just as somebody who reads a flat script. Got it. Got it. And when you were on the air, did you use your, your given name or did you have an on-air personality name? Uh, it was pretty much just Mike or Mike D. Uh, I didn't really have a, a personality name. Okay. Um, so if we could go back in, in time to when you first came to the station, and I guess this is a two-part question, but uh, what first brought you to the station? And can you remember what it was like? Where was the radio station? Maybe people that you met, things that you remember about the office or the studio, your first time walking into the radio station. 
Sure. Uh, well, all right. The, the little bit of the backstory is I grew up listening to WABC, which is well before your time, I know. But mm. at the time in the 60s and 70s, WABC was the radio station. I mean, that, that's what you listen to. They had a true top 40 format and big personalities. I always wanted to be Dan Ingram, who was yeah. the afternoon host at, at WABC. Yeah. And it happened that he went to Hofstra. So when Hofstra became one of my uh, choices that made sense when I was in high school, my guidance counselor, who was also a Hofstra alumnus, by the way, uh, recommended I go there because of my love for, for radio and, and things like that. While I was at high school, I hosted the morning announcements program uh, with several others. I was part of a crew that did that. And I did uh, some of the, um, the public uh, address announcing for the basketball team. So I kind of wet my, my feet in high school as far as the announcing end. So, of course, I went to Hofstra with the purpose of getting involved in radio. I majored in, in radio broadcasting. And I remember the first day I walked into the radio station it was August 31st, 1982. And the first person I met was Mike Larkin, who was then the uh, executive engineer, who I would become his protege very shortly after that. Uh, and uh, then uh, the next person I met was Jeff Krause, who at the time had been the father of Hofstra Radio. Uh, he was the general manager for many, many years. Unfortunately, he passed away in the early 90s. But he was kind of the father figure to a whole generation of us growing up there at the radio station. And that was quite an experience. And uh, again, I know he was before your time, Brian, but if you ever heard any stories about about Jeff, uh, you would know that uh, he was quite the character. Wonderful man as far as loving radio and loving what he did. And he did love his students, but you didn't think that if you didn't know that. <laughs> he, was kind of, he could be very gruff at times and very, uh, very curt and very direct, but you got the job done for him and you wanted to please him. And I think that's, that's why it worked. Yeah, I, I worked with Jeff um, a, a little bit uh, before he passed. So I knew him a little bit and I knew that intimidating factor. So, so as you're getting introduced to the station, uh, I assume Mike or someone else introduced you to Jeff and he had the voice and when I met him, he had the, the, the beard and the silver hair and, and so forth. Um, do you remember anything else about meeting him? Were you, were you excited? Were you intimidated? What were your I was, I was, I was scared. I was really, really scared because I, it was hard to, I mean, I, I didn't know what I expected when I walked into the radio station, but I certainly didn't expect that. Uh, so in the end, I was very happy that I got it, but at the beginning, I, I, I thought there'd be somebody nice and friendly, you know, and, and to kind of, you know, introduce, like, like, like take you under their wing. And while he did that, he did that in his own way. And he wasn't the nicest or friendliest person all the time. But as you got to know him, you realized that that facade was just that a facade, that he really was a wonderful guy. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I just I, I didn't know what to make of him when I first met him, other than just kind of being intimidated by him a little bit. But as I said, as time went on, I realized that was just who he was, and he had, we actually had a very very good relationship with each other at one point. Oh, good. Um, so once you get uh, into the station, I assume you took an engineering class, an announcing class. Uh, do you remember things about that? Maybe you taught them other people who were in the classes with you. You know, it's it's interesting. I didn't have to take any of those classes until the second time I came back, uh, oh. because uh, yeah, when I when you first started, it was it was totally different. It was kind of like if you wanted to be on the air, uh, you had to get announcer cleared, and there was no formal class to get announcer cleared. Basically, there was somebody named the chief announcer, who I think at the time was a guy named Chris Riker, and uh, you went before Chris, and they gave you some copy to read, and. If you can get through the copy and answer a couple of questions sounding semi-intelligent, you were cleared to announce. Uh, and then you, you you cut your teeth on the air as a staff announcer for a show, kind of like I did. 
And after you've done that for a while and you kind of get a little input from the host of the show with you and whatever else, and then suddenly some things open up and uh, then you get your chance to, to move on. I was very close with Mike, who was the executive engineer, so it was easy to get combo cleared. That was the big deal back then, meaning that you could announce an engineer at the same time. Uh, and then, uh, again, before long, I was the executive engineer. As Mike moved on towards the station manager, he kind of, in a way, gifted the position to me. <laughs> and uh, he knew I was organized, and he, he kind of knew that I thought the way he did, and uh, he kind of liked that. So uh, that's how that began. And uh, yeah, uh, it, so it was very informal back then. It was, it was much, much less formal uh, than uh, how it is nowadays. And the shock of all shocks is when I came back in 2000, I had to take a test and I had to go through the, the eight week class and, and, you know, do, do tracking hours and all that. And I'm like, what is this? We never had to do this before, but I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I did that because it made me so much of a better broadcaster and it, and it introduced me to a lot of wonderful people that I probably wouldn't have met otherwise. So I, I, I think the way they do it now is much more in line with, with, with how it should be done at a university, making it more formal, having a class, having exams, things like that. But it wasn't that way maybe until the mid-90s or so. So what brought you back in 2000? What brought you back to the station? Uh, what were your goals or ideas then walking? And obviously very different facilities. When you first joined in, I, I think you said 1982, mm. would that have been in Memorial Hall? Yeah, we were in the, actually, we were in the basement of Memorial Hall, the original basement of Memorial Hall. We were still in the original place there before they renovated that and made it into something else. While I was there, they moved us temporarily down the hall uh, in the, like this, this, this far off corner of Memorial Hall as they were building Bits and Bytes, believe it or not. Uh, and then uh, after that, after Bits and Bytes got built, they took that area and made it into something else. And they finally moved us into uh, the new school of communication along the way, but that was even after I left. So I, while I was there, it was all in Memorial Hall, just in different places in Memorial. Uh, and the office was upstairs on the second floor of Memorial Hall, even though we were broadcasting in the basement. So it was kind of a, a trip to go from uh, the office to the studio and back and forth. It's much much easier the way they have it done now. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was quite interesting at that point. So we, it was it was in Memorial Hall. What brought me back uh, by 2000? I was working at Hofstra University. Uh, as a um, the uh, office manager for the uh, alumni house at that time, uh, with with Margaret Shields as the executive director, wonderful woman. I, I learned a lot from her, and it was a great experience working over there. And I was going back for my master's degree, uh, and I said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to get my master's degree in education. I'm going to teach, and while I'm there, I'm going to you know, get my feet wet, going back into the radio station and to have a little fun. And, uh, you know, I met Bruce, uh, and at that time, Joel Meyer was uh, doing John's job, and uh, I was hooked. I said, these guys are great, and whatever else, okay, let's give it a shot. Went through the class, made a lot of friends, and was happy I did it. And that second time around was when I really became uh, kind of the utility guy. I was the, the, the host and producer of two LGBT-focused programs, first Outreach and then later Loud and Queer. Uh, I was also uh, involved in the, the morning show, Hostures uh, Morning Wake Up Call. Uh, I was uh, one of the people who, for years, every year, would would help out with uh, election coverage. Uh, I was always involved in, in in the marathons. In fact, for a long, long time, I was uh, Tony Jackson's engineer. I was also yeah. Cinder's engineer for a while. Uh, so it was it was a lot of fun. I, I, I'm really glad that I went back that later on in my life to be involved as I was because I felt by that point I was also able to mentor some of the young students I worked with too, and that was a nice feeling. 
Um, so I'm glad I did that. So again, why did I come back? Because I was there and I, I still loved radio. So I figured it just made sense for me to go back and work at the station. That's great. That's great. So, so I guess we can split this next question up into two. Do you recall your first time being on the air as a staff announcer? And do you recall going back on the air in the 2000s? Now, Hans Oaks is quite, quite a guy. I mean, he, to look at him, you would think he was a biker. I mean, he, he, he looked like one of the Hell's Angels. Uh, big, blonde, Scandinavian guy, as his name would, would indicate. But he was like a Scandinavian biker. And again, <laughs> talk about intimidation. Here I am, this, this, this little unsure of myself kid just, just out of high school. And Hans always looked older than he was, too. So I had no idea how old this guy was, if he was a student, if he was just a host. Because back at the time, they even had non-students on the air a lot, more, more often than they have now. Uh, so I really wasn't too sure about him. And I have to be honest, I really didn't become too good friends with him because he was just a, a, such a different person for me. He was a nice guy. He always treated me well. We just weren't really, really buddies. So I don't know much about him except that he loved what he did. Uh, and, and, and you could tell. And uh, he would, you know, occasionally try to throw me a curveball, catch me off guard with some of the things he said. But uh, I could tell it was all in fun, and and he never, uh, never gave me a hard time for stumbling over a word here or there or whatever. And so that was okay. And the first time back on the air um, at uh, in the 2001 era, I think I was on one of the rock shows. I forget which one it was. It was in the afternoon, I think. Um, was it the Rock and Roll Oasis? I think that might have been it. That might have been the one that, that uh, I came back on uh, at that point. And then, of course, like I said, I did the wake-up call for, for quite some time as both a host and a uh, contributor and a news guy. I've done all the positions at that time on, on the, the morning show. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that one. That was, that was, that was great. You mentioned uh, a number of folks who helped you in, in both eras. Were there other people that were helpful, that were good role models that you maybe listened to and thought, oh, that's, that's cool. I, I want to do that or I want to I learn more about that. Who were the people that were, were helpful and welcoming? Well, Sue Zizza, I mean, she was, she was terrific and she still is. And I, you know, I went, I worked with Sue for a bit uh, in her, with her company for a little while as well since then uh, for a short time. And, and, and she's great. Uh, she's always been uh, a very big advocate of, of, of myself and I of her. She's just got it. She she knows what good radio is. She knows how, how to make it work. Uh, of course, she was a, a former executive at the radio station as well. Uh, so, you know, her expertise uh, played in there as well. And as a student, when I was there, she was just leaving being a student as well. So we kind of had a little crossover. The time that I said I filled in as the country host, it was actually her show, and she was unable to do it for a little while, and mm. I kind of took it over from her at that point. So she was a, a big influence. Uh, a guy named Jeff Foss, who was not a student, but he was the host of P5, the post-punk progressive pop party at the time. And uh, he was an interesting guy. Uh, he kind of sort of became a friend at one point. Uh, but uh, I, I, again, I couldn't say we were really close. I mean, the person I was closest to was Mike Larkin, and uh, he and I just clicked from day one. And, uh, and that was a really good experience because he, he really did become a good friend. Uh, and we really stayed in touch even after the radio station for quite some time. In fact, he got me back into the professional business. He was, uh, he moved on to be, uh, the station manager at WBLI at one point, And I got a, a gig as an overnight host there because of him. So, uh, you know, that, that really, uh, was, was good for me. Uh, I remember a guy named Greg Fennell, who was a buddy of mine when I was at school. He was uh, executive announcer shortly after I was. And I liked what he did. And in fact, so much so that he also got me a job in the business. When he left, he got a job up in a sta at a station in New Hampshire. And that was my first 
for a outside of the New York area. And I got to tell you, Brian, that was that was a, a fish out of water story, if, if ever there was. I'm this kid uh, who, who grew up in Nassau County, uh, youngest in uh, uh, an Italian family, youngest of four kids, uh, very Brooklyn Italian family, even though we lived in Franklin Square. And uh, so all I know is, you know, concrete and, and, and uh, you know, uh, driving everywhere and, and, and all that type of stuff. And, and here I go. I drive up to New Hampshire, the middle of nowhere, as far as I'm concerned, country for miles and miles and miles, grass and what have you in the middle of who knows where. It was Hanover, New Hampshire, which is where Dartmouth is, was my first professional gig. And I got it through Greg Fennell at a radio station. I think it was WDLC. And uh, I was a newscaster there and uh, eventually an afternoon host. And I had a blast. And if it wasn't for Greg, I wouldn't have gotten that job either. So I owe him a lot also for getting me getting me started in the business professional. Again, this is a, a two-part question. As, as an undergraduate, um, when did you start to feel comfortable that this was a place that you were going to be at for a few years? Uh, that you felt comfortable getting on the mic, getting behind the board? What is it? Was it something that happened quickly or did it take some time? It happened fairly quickly, um, I have to say. Like I said, I, my my longtime love for the radio, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, I would have these wiffle ball games in the backyard with myself and I would, mm -hmm. I would be the announcer. I would be Bob Murphy or whoever the Mets announcers were at that time, Lindsey Nelson and Ralph Kinder. And I'd, I'd be all three of them announcing myself, pretending to play uh, wiffle ball. And then, like I said, in, in high school, I was one of the, the hosts of the morning announcements. And so I, 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 I think I took to it rather easily. And uh, that was good because it, it really helped me do a lot. There was a time when the station signed on and off. We signed on at eight o'clock in the morning with, uh, the classics from Hofstra, we signed off at two in the morning at the end of Airwave. And I remember no, many days I did both ends. Uh, yeah. I, I loved it so much. And I, I had such, such a blast. I would, there were even nights where there was a, a couch in the old four track studio. And that became my bed for the night many nights because I would be on the air till o'clock in the morning and then have to get up for the, the next morning at eight. So it, it made sense to sleep there. So uh, it really became a, a home away from home for me, which I kind of needed because, again, I was the only one in my family who went to college. I was the only one in my family who, you know, had these these atraditional aspirations. So I, it was a, a way to surround myself with, with, with people and surroundings that were more comfortable to me. So I'm very happy it was there and all that uh, WRH was done for me. And by the way, when I started out, it was WVHC. We had turned to WRH during my time there. Right, right. So that would have been about the 25th anniversary of the station when they switched to WRH. Mm, I think that was about right. Yes, the 25th anniversary. I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so coming back again, same question, different scenario. Um, how long did it take you to get comfortable? Obviously, the equipment's different. It's a different building. There's different people there. Um, how long did it take you to get acclimated and get comfortable with the with the new station, the updated station? You know, surprisingly, a lot faster than I thought it would. I was intimidated when I first saw the new the new stuff. I because I had no idea about the buttons and whistles and all that type of stuff. I in between, I had worked in the business. You know, yeah. so it was I, I had seen boards, I had seen different setups, but nothing like like you had there when I walked back in in, in two thousand one. I was I was blown away. So I had some idea uh, of, of what you know it would be like, but not a lot. But like. Uh, Thanks to people like who I mentioned earlier, Joel Meyer and a few other people who were around at that point, they, they really helped me get, get rolling quickly. And I loved the people I tracked with and, and uh, you know, the, the 
my my training class was a great one. I had uh, Andrew Falzone in it, Andy Gladding, uh, myself, uh, Fran Spencer. Uh, there were a lot of people who started with me, and we all had a lot of talent and supported each other. We were a really good class, and that helped a lot too. So we learned from each other, so it made it that much easier. That's great. That's that's great to hear. Um, so yeah, I'm not quite sure how to ask this question. I guess I guess we'll we'll just keep going in order here. It's a sort of the wrap up question. Is as an 18 year old, as as someone just out of high school, and obviously you've alluded to this that you had a feeling that you wanted to be in radio, that this was something that was already in your blood. But as you walked into that station in Memorial Hall the first time, what did you think that radio station would be for you? I thought it was my chance to learn how to be uh, Dan Ingram. I really did. I thought it was my chance to begin my career. And I would have, in my mind, I was the next superstar. And, you know, it was it was a, a humbling experience for me as well, because I learned that there was a lot more to it than just opening a mic and talking. And that's really what I thought it was. And and so I learned a lot. And it was it was a lot of good lessons. I had a, a fabulous time. I did go into the business for a bit. In fact, part of me still wants to be back in the business uh, because it's just so there's nothing like it. And I've done several other things since then. But, uh, you know, it, I have to say it, it, it taught me a lot about an 18 year old's expectations and how skewed they can be. And uh, you think you know it all and then you realize you don't know anything. And I, I kind of fell somewhere in the middle and was happy to be there. So, yeah, so there's, there's the hindsight, but I, I, I can sense the enthusiasm. I can sense the excitement of, of walking in there and thinking this is going to be it. And, and conversely, uh, years later you come back and you know, what, what were your expectations for walking back in? Did you communicate with, with Bruce Avery or anybody prior to going back? Or you just kind of came back and said, Hey, I used to work here. Um, I, I think Dan, Danielle DeLillo was the first person I met coming back, I believe. Uh, and I, I, it was, I walked into this, the station. I really didn't know where it was. Somebody had tell me where it was. And I, I walked in, I think she was in the office and she was so welcoming and such a wonderful person. I, I love double D she's great. Uh, and, uh, then she introduced me to Bruce. And then once I got to know Bruce, I had a nice conversation with him and uh, we decided that it would make sense for me to come back. He said, but of course you'll have to take the training class. And then of course I went to, because uh, back then they also had interviews before the training class. So I had to go to the interview before the training class, but uh, that went well because I had already met Bruce prior to that briefly. Uh, and I, also I knew Michelle Lisi. Michelle Lisi was also working at the station this time around. And I, she was a student when I was there. That was a help too. Once I saw her and got to meet Bruce and saw Danielle, it was it all fell into place. That is fantastic, Mike. Um, it's it's a real treat hearing your stories from from two different eras and seeing and hearing some commonalities between them and and obvious and some obvious differences. But it sounds like it was a great experience uh, in both cases. It was, and I would do it again in a heartbeat. Well, thank you, Mike, very much for, for sharing your memories and your experiences and uh, start thinking about some more stories and I'll come up with some more questions and we'll try this again sometime. Okay. Thanks, Brian.